0: Hey, Torm, what are you doing on August 28th, 2011?
1: I think uh, I'll be hanging out with you at Comics and Stories, the uh, local comic book convention in Vancouver, British Columbia.
0: The one at the Heritage Hall uh, at, on Main Street, like 15th and Main?
1: Uh huh. Woohoo. That we'll be tabling like, together.
0: That sounds like a real good time. Um, tabling.
1: <laughs> Tabling sounds dirty. It's a euphemism for selling comics and uh, Caustic Soda merchandise. Hot. Yeah,
0: we'll have we'll have Caustic Soda merchandise. We'll have Torn. We'll have a bunch of the Darkest of the Hillside Thickets merch, as well as CDs and the
1: comics we worked on together. The comics Remember that we those? worked on
0: together. Yeah, the uh, the ones that I was one of the writers on, and Torn was the artist on, and yeah, no, all sorts of good stuff. So come on
1: out. Uh, I think the website is VancouverComicCon.com. dot com. Vancouver Comic Con. Dot com. Five C's in total. Give me five C's <laughs> of comics. Stat. Give me a C C C C C.
0: One, two, three, no, it's four.
1: No, in the five in the oh, dot com. and
0: the dot com. Not counting the, <laughs> counting the dot com. <laughs> I t- got t- confused. <laughs> Glad we got that cleared up. Yeah, no kidding.
2: We don't think of it as the Geneva Convention so much as the Geneva Suggestion. I'm Joe Fulgum.
3: Hey, want to come up and see my bone ship? It's really gross. I'm
0: Jordan Pratt.
1: There are four hosts!
0: I'm Torn Atkinson. Guantanamo prisoners, Guantanamo problems. I'm Kevin Leeson and this is Caustic Soda.
1: Prisoners of War. Pow. Bam. Wap. Sucko. <laughs> What's the an- acronym for Sucko? Uh, yes.
0: Suckers. Uh, o- overcaptured kiddo organ.
2: <laughs>
0: wow.
1: Right on. Kleisophobia. The fear of being locked in an enclosed place. All
0: right, That makes sense. And
1: traumatophobia <laughs> would be fear of war. Oh, really? So you put those together, I guess you would have... Claustrophobia
3: How does claustrophobia differ from claustrophobia? Claustrophobia.
1: Cuz you're locked. You're locked in that enclosed place. Oh, okay. You're oh, not You're just, not just in there. As opposed to somebody the put space. you in there. So yeah, you're okay exactly. with being
2: in a small room as long as there's a door and you know you can yeah, get you can out. get out. But if somebody were to shut that door and laugh at you, then and your phobia it. would I don't kick think it. laughing
1: is really part of <laughs> it. Locking, locking that is the Claustrophobio
3: Yeah. I'm afraid of the evil laughter that follows the door
1: being That's locked. True. The
0: cackle, yeah, the cackling. <laughs> and our
3: special
1: guest, Jordan Pratt. Hello, that you remember here. from the Iraq War episode. One of our
3: least popular episodes. <laughs> <laughs> and yet here I am again. Yep. So,
0: uh, yeah, a war enthusiast, generally speaking.
3: Military enthusiast, I would say. I'm not too keen on the war part, but I like all mm-hmm. the stuff. Yeah. It's like an extremely dangerous camping trip. I so. guess that's an important semantic
0: <laughs> distinction. Oh, I think so. Yeah.
3: yeah. I don't really know. How would how would we define prisoners of
1: war? I think mean, this defines itself, don't you think? Kind of,
3: sort of. POWs have privileges according to them if they're regular combatants, like if they're part of a regular army. And if you're a signatory country to the Geneva Convention, that means you're not allowed to do certain things to them. And there, some of them are required to work for their keep and whatnot. So there sure. is a, there is a and pretty... And they get paid in some cases. Yeah, in some cases they do. In other cases they get shot for trying to escape. So, you know, it's kind of a... It's that's a kind of a payment.
1: <laughs>
0: it's there, kind of a lose-lose situation, I think, for everyone involved. There is kind of a definition that's largely accepted in international law kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, to go back in history, back in time,
4: to
1: the, <laughs> the annals of history... The first Roman gladi- gladiators were prisoners of war and were named according to their ethnic roots, such as Samnite, Thracian, and the Gaul.
3: So they, they, they were generally either butchered or sold as slaves or drafted into their, the armies that conquered them. So, you you know, there was a few courses of action open to you if you happen to get conquered back then.
1: In pre-Islamic Arabia, upon capture, those captives not executed were made to beg for their subsistence. Uh, During the early reforms under Islam, Muhammad changed this custom and made it the responsibility of the Islamic government to provide food and clothing on a reasonable basis to captives regardless of their religion. Pretty forward thinking for Muhammad. If the prisoners were in the custody of a person, then the responsibility was on the individual. He established the rule that prisoners of war must be guarded and not ill treated, and that after the fighting was over, the prisoners were expected to be either released or ransomed.
0: I mean, basically, isn't it just comes down to the whole golden rule thing, like maybe if I treat my prisoners of war half decently, then my enemy will treat my prisoners of war half yeah. decently. And like
3: Especially back then when you consider how expensive and difficult it was to wage war. It almost more expensive than it was than it is to do that now. So you're you're saying that we're not gonna kill people that we've conquered or been victorious over. You're actually providing food, shelter, accommodation, which is, it's very difficult to provide that for your own men. It's a burden, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so it's a pretty forward-thinking for back then, hmm. really, when it was just, frankly, easier to kill them all. Genghis Khan style. Yeah. And let God sort them out.
0: Yeah.
1: Or the spaghetti monster is a case But then
2: you've got nobody to run this land that you've conquered. You yeah, know, that's except, true. That's except true. bringing in settlers, Well, somehow the politicians
3: always remain alive. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> the soldiers who...
0: Even uh, today. You yeah, lost, the, you pay. The royalty or whatever uh, always seem to escape pretty much unscathed, yeah. right? But I'm a tax collector. All right, stand over there. But it was a total like, <laughs> hey, you know what, I might be conquered next so I should probably be nice to these guys kind of uh, philosophy.
3: Yeah, I think that's exactly right. A lot of times you you have to get those conquered people to keep running their country so you can keep You know, the idea is to expand your trade or take over their markets. Well, you don't want those markets to collapse. So, you know, murdering everybody is not in your best interest. Putting on a a good political face is a good idea. Yeah, Yeah.
2: you'd only murder them because it feels good. Not for any actual gain. Why does anyone
3: murder anybody? I don't know. Uh, Because it feels good. To get their boots. (laughs) (laughs) It just
1: feels (laughs) right. I'd like to talk about the Andersonville prison in Georgia during the Civil
3: War. This one I'm not familiar with. It sounds like a boring amusement park. The but what is it really,
0: yeah. yeah, it's Pamela Anderson's amusement park. It's like <laughs> right
3: next to Dollywood. That's
1: right. Lots of big <laughs> fluffy cushions everywhere. Officially known as Camp Sumter, served as a Confederate prisoner of war camp during the American Civil War. In all, 12,913... Of the approximately 45,000 Union prisoners died because of starvation, malnutrition, diarrhea, and disease.
0: Almost a third. Like just shy of one out of every three prisoners that ever walked through those doors did not walk out again.
3: It's like a refugee camp if nobody ever provided supplies.
0: <laughs> mm. It's just yeah. basically
3: an open field with a lot of tents.
0: That's a pretty deplorable track record. I mean, I, I, I don't know if you've got many POW camps in history that had that kind of fatality rate.
1: Now, I know it's got "die" right in the name, but how can you die of diarrhea? Well, <laughs> you basically get dehydrated yeah. Yeah. and die. So yeah. it's more dehydration than the diarrhea itself. The well, diarrhea, yeah.
2: Diarrhea it? causes the dehydration. Which so,
1: yeah. causes the death. Uh, I have a description from one of the Union soldiers. As we entered the place, a spectacle met our eyes that almost froze our blood with horror and made our hearts fail within us. Before us were forms that had once been active and erect. Stalwart (laughs) men, now nothing but mere walking skeletons, covered with filth and vermin. Many of our men, in the heat and intensity of of their feeling, exclaimed with earnestness, Can this be hell? In the center of the hole was a swamp occupying about three or four acres of the narrowed limits, and a part of this marshy place had been used by the prisoners as a sink, and excrement covered the ground, the scent arising from which was suffocating. The ground allotted to our ninety was near the edge of this plague spot, and how we were to live through the warm summer weather in the midst of such fearful surroundings
0: was more than we
2: cared to think of. You're building
0: your prison camp. Do you have to build it in the middle of a swamp? Like, seriously, you couldn't have moved it like well, a half a mile with over? With all the
2: diarrhea going on, maybe there wasn't a swamp there at first. <laughs>
3: <laughs> <laughs> and also, it's not like you want to build it next to running water, because that's a means of escape, right? And plus, you really don't care if these people live or die. You just want to remove them from the theater
0: of war, isolate them, and keep them weak and malnourished. Well, how about a field? Mission accomplished. How about an empty field instead of, like, you know, a mosquito-ridden swamp? <laughs> That they can fill with feces.
3: Well, if you put them in a nice, clean, empty field, where's the malaria going to come from? <laughs> <laughs> it's not it's what we're thinking of the contract. Right. The TB we can bring, the malaria, we need mosquitoes. Yeah, within seven
1: months, about a third of them died from what was diagnosed as scorbutic dysentery, bloody diarrhea caused by vitamin C deficiency, and scurvy, and were buried in mass graves, the standard practice by Confederate prison authorities at Andersonville. In hindsight, it is likely that the cause of fatal emaciation and diarrhea was rampant hookworm disease, a condition not recognized or known during the Civil War. Uh, the guards' disease, starvation, and exposure were not all that the prisoners had to deal with. A group of prisoners, calling themselves the Andersonville Raiders, now okay. a famous football team. I was about to say. <laughs> local heroes. <laughs> attacked their fellow inmates to steal food, jewelry, money, and clothing. Yes, boots. Uh, they were armed mostly with clubs and killed to get what they wanted. Another group rose up to stop the larceny, calling themselves regulators. They caught nearly all of the raiders who were then tried by a judge that 's uh, hmm. Peter Big Pete McCullough in case you 're oh, right. well
0: you don 't even have a nickname like Big Pete. you kind of yeah. get the authority to judge
1: others. <laughs> <laughs> tried by a judge and jury selected from a group of new prisoners. This jury, upon finding the raiders guilty, set punishment that included running the gauntlet, being sent to the stocks, ball and chain, and in six cases hanging these guys
0: sounded like they deserved it because they're all Union soldiers they're all of the same army right and yet, uh, for, in the interest of pure self-preservation, they victimize their fellow inmates. Yeah, too. Yeah, and also, this wasn't a camp
3: for criminals. This wasn't a prison
0: where no. you would kind of expect that sort of
3: thing. It's to a be, you know, camp. Yeah, like, yeah exactly. exactly. There is a military hierarchy that's supposedly
0: <laughs> beating people to death with clubs yeah. so that they can have their boots yeah. and their jewelry. jewelry. So, so important when you're starving important. to death in a swamp. <laughs>
3: that is a nice watch. It's, it's like Uh-oh. Gilligan's
2: Island where everybody wants the money from Mr. Howell. <laughs> it's like, what are you going to use this for? <laughs> (laughs) You're stuck on an island. Give me your yacht
0: and cap. I can just imagine this conversation. It's like, hey, is that a Rolex? Give me your pin number. What is that? (laughs) I don't know. I'm being prescient.
3: So what do we know about the Boer War, then? My uh, great-great-grandfather was on the British side. Sorry. uh, In the Boer (laughs) War. I saw lots of pictures of him when I was a kid in his red coat, looking uh, suitably defeated. Oh, wow. he looked defeated in the photos? Yeah, yeah. I think uh, it had been a long and difficult life in the British Army for my great-grandfather, but uh, mm-hmm. I was looking up a, a list of famous people who had been captured yeah. uh, during armed conflict, and Winston Churchill's name kind of popped out. So, although mm-hmm. I don't know too much about the Boer War, other than the British Army sort of getting its butt handed to them mm-hmm. in a wholesale fashion, uh, I was amazed that Winston Churchill was actually a POW. He's like so old, right? I don't think he was old when
0: he was captured during the Boer War. <laughs> I think he, right. uh, he kind of earned 65. that age. I'm 65, give me a break. Couldn't run away. What do you expect from me? I'm jowly. <laughs> <laughs> I am tripping over my jowls. I mean, the Boer War is probably one of the only times the Dutch actually prevailed over the English in just about anything. What about flower making? Tulips. <laughs> tulips. Tulips and, and kicking ass. Red light districts. Uh, I just wanted to briefly
3: go over uh, the War of 1812. I mentioned earlier that enlisted men and some officers are required to work for their keep when they're POWs. French prisoners who were uh, interned in Britain during the War of 1812 had to figure out a way to generate extra money because they were just in jail. They were receiving regular rations and being treated relatively humanely for the time. I mean, they weren't being ground up into fertilizer. But they started a small kind of, I don't know if you call it, arts and crafts community. The majority of them were, Mm. were naval conscripts. So they took the bones from their beef rations and started making models of the ship's. In the British fleet, Ooh. really? Yeah, and these are huge models, all made out of bone. It wasn't just uh, mutton and beef bones that they were using; it was also human bones that went into these models, sure. right? Yeah. Of like right. Uh, other prisoners yeah. and whatnot, because uh, they're generally buried in shallow graves for some reason. I have no idea what the what the political you... reason is for that. But after a while, animals would expose the bones, and the prisoners would scavenge these bones and use them right. as raw material. Because <laughs> if you get a nice big piece of bone, like a thigh bone, and you're trying to make a ship. You can make quite a lot of money selling that completed naval model. Sure. I mean now they're worth ten, twenty thousand dollars each for these these models of naval ships.
0: They do Less, sound awesome in a very grotesquery yeah, kind of yeah. way.
3: Less scrimshaw, more Grimshaw.
0: Ah oh, nice. Uh-huh. <laughs>
3: That's way better than a braided belt at uh,
0: that you make at camp. Yeah, no kidding, no kidding. Or those um, ship
4: made of human
0: bones. <laughs> those, uh, those macaroni and glitter <laughs> uh, things that you do. In, like, Look what could
2: I made you, warm. mommy? It's a yeah. ship made out of bird skulls. <laughs> so before World War One, we had the Hague Convention. Then about we, oh, we started right. to put in actual official. Rules covering the treatment of prisoners of now, war. Now, when did that happen? That, that was 1907. Before, was 1907? The yep. Third Geneva Convention was 1929, so that was after World War I. Does Do you think they got idea? con
1: crud from going to a Geneva Convention?
3: <laughs> they got what? Con, crud. con crud.
1: You're not as nerdy as around. <laughs> Whenever you go to a nerd convention, like a Comic Con or whatever, big one, mm-hmm. and everyone's always shaking hands, new business. Everyone comes home right. and they're sick for like a week.
3: Yeah. Oh, okay.
1: So it's, it's not called just con
3: crud.
0: It's not just Dorito residue on your hands, <laughs> no, sticky no. Mountain Dew, and, and it, it's not all the like stickers and magnets and whatnot
2: they give you in your gift bag. It's not that either. The laptop Although,
3: shoulder bag that's, to that's they give you. Con for free. Crap. Just a little pro yeah. tip
2: on the Dorito residue and the Cheetos residue. I right. saw a brilliant thing for that, which is eating them with chopsticks. Oh. That's oh. a great
3: idea. It's awesome. There you go. I mean, most people at those conventions are already so. dressed as samurai anyway, so the chopstick's not <laughs> too far of a reach.
2: Does anybody have any
0: idea what prompted the Hague Convention in 1907? Was
3: there... I'm going to take a wild guess. Most of the people attending the Hague Conference were rich enough because, you know, they're all colonialists. Yeah. And if you're organized enough to have a conference to talk about, you know, the next war we get into, <laughs> here's how it should totally go. <laughs> yeah, the, I guess it's
0: probably the same guys around the table all the yeah, time. Yeah. and like... Buddy, all right, let's, and, let's, let's talk. Look, yeah, and I think a lot of those pol- uh, politicians
3: back then, because everyone was a little bit closer to uh, Im- the immediacy of life back then, so there's a good chance that if you were in political office, you had a family member who was in the military. Yeah. yeah. And so you kind of have a vested interest in making sure that your son-in-law, even if he is a wastrel, gets returned in yeah. one piece to continue the family line. I mean we so. did
0: talk briefly about the Boer War which immediately preceded uh, 20th century and that that's pretty much the end of British colonialism as we knew it
1: don't tell the Native Americans that
0: yeah, yeah. <laughs> no no but like expand, expanded sure. colonialism like they from that point forward the British Empire was retreating yeah. right yeah that might have been one of those catalysts too like there might have been some maltreatment amongst so. people who uh, uh, who were kind of like let's draw up a game plan here let's uh, let's discuss
2: is there anything to talk about during World War uh, at the end of the war in 1918, there were 140,000 British prisoners of war in Germany, and 3,000 were being held in neutral Switzerland.
1: Switzerland!
3: Switzerland, mm-hmm. so neutral. So they bank anything over there.
0: People. <laughs>
2: yeah, they bank 3,000
0: people. <laughs> it's funny. like, we'll hold on to this and charge you, uh, give you give you uh, interest. We'll put women in with them and you'll get babies. It's not That'll a prison. A, it's a safety deposit box. <laughs>
1: that's what all children should be called, interest.
3: <laughs> World War II? Let's All do right. it. There's some crazy crap going on in World War II yeah, as far no as kidding. not observing the Geneva Conventions.
1: I have here an unclassified document prepared by Military Intelligence uh, War Department, 15th uh, July, 1944, on STALAG-11B. I guess that'd be 11B. STALAG-11B. Possibly Baker. IIB, if you're Roman numeralizing it. Uh-huh. Right. Got it. Right. Strength, 4,807 enlisted men. Description. Camp sprawls over 25 acres, divided into four compounds, and separated by barbed wire fences. Americans occupy five one-story stone buildings. Three-tier bunks are too numerous for barracks, cubic space, and quarters are overcrowded. POWs sleep on tables, chairs, or on the floor while awaiting shipment to work detachments. Within enclosure are canteen, small playing field, workshops, rooms for religious services and recreation, dispensary, Showers and de lauser. Mm-hmm. Entire camp is surrounded by two barbed wire fences. Base camp houses a thousand Americans, consisting of permanent camp staff, non-recognized NCOs, medics, and physically unfit. The remaining 3,800 are on 141 work detachments. Some as far as 350 kilometers from base camp.
0: Oh, wow. That's a lot of travel time. Food.
1: Major portion of POW's food comes from weekly Red Cross parcels. German ration is insufficient, consisting of hot water for breakfast, water soup with small boiled potatoes, uh, seven per man for dinner, and three slices of heavy black bread and a slice of sausage for supper. Clothing. Usually no clothing issued by Germans. The only source of supply is the Red Cross. Each POW has been supplied with an American uniform and pair of leather shoes. At one work detachment, American clothing was taken from POWs, and Germans issued one uniform and one pair of wooden
3: shoes per man.
0: Ooh, that doesn't sound like fun. Wooden shoes. Wooden shoes. You didn't have flat arches before. I thought there were rules against torture. That sounds... Sounds like they're contravening (laughs) contravening the Geneva Convention right there. And Mr. Blackwell would have something to say about it as well.
1: This color washes me out. Health. Two American doctors are assisted by American orderlies in caring for the sick and invalid. Medical supplies are urgently needed. Hospital facilities are inadequate. Men on work groups frequently go to the nearest city for medical treatment by civilian doctors. Hmm. Mail. Average transit time for all letters both to and from campus three to four months. Receipt and transit times are erratic, next of kin, and tobacco parcels arrive in three to four months. They are frequently pilfered. So that's kind of your standard POW.
0: That sounds. That doesn't sound like anything really defies expectation. I'm not surprised by any of that. Just to set the tone for what the average is. Oh, guess what? The POW camp is overcrowded and undersupplied. (laughs) And if family or Red Cross send valuable things like money and or tobacco, it doesn't make it to the prisoners.
3: Interesting difference between the treatment of American and British POWs and Russian POWs. Russian POW camps. Yeah, Russian POWs are generally locked in open fields yeah no shelter no food no provision whatsoever because as communists even if they had won or lost the war they were going to be germany's enemy the americans i know that the camp sounds pretty grim but they were given the best treatment that they could by the germans because hitler believed that once the war was over if america won or lost america was this huge economic engine so if you treat their prisoners according to the geneva conventions mm-hmm. you are going to have a more fruitful political partnership after the war ends yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. just one of his many uh, weird delusions he fostered
0: i mean hitler quite famously actually thought that the british might even ally yeah. with him that yeah. he thought that they were so simpatico politically that they mm-hmm. you know were were one and the same that they were just separated empires kind of thing yeah. he didn't really feel the same way about the russians
3: oh uh, i should point out that jewish officers and enlisted men were still separated and uh basically murdered wholesale uh despite them being american right so so there was a
0: uh an exemption rule
3: yeah there was definitely uh we're still
0: anti-semites we like americans Oh, we're still anti-semites that's uh trumps everything yeah that's the ace in the hole yeah exactly and that's why we put them in the hole (laughs) your name is now ace
3: (laughs) you're going in the hole
1: you're going more notorious perhaps even than the german pow camps would be the japanese
3: pow camps do you agree or disagree
0: I would say Agree. so. Agree. Yeah, I don't think they really cared for the Geneva Convention whatsoever. If I... No,
3: they weren't one of the uh, signatory nations and also the Japanese Code of Honor. If you surrendered, you're lower than an animal and you right. should be treated as such. So it didn't matter if you were an officer or an enlisted man, you were basically lower than a dog.
0: They didn't seem to care for... P. W. S.
3: Well, they cared because they were good bargaining chips. They could do medical experiments on them, In some cases, uh, and this is this is documented. Uh, there was incidences of cannibalism.
0: Yeah, um, we talked about that actually yeah. in the cannibalism episode because yeah, the
3: Japanese war efforts falling apart towards the end of the war. They're right. stationed on an island, so you got fifty American prisoners and no
0: supplies coming in. Yeah, right. the equation nibble. is
3: obvious. Nibble, nibble, nibble.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes they would actually just take parts of the prisoners a little bit at a time. They would right. just kill them and take the whole prison. Right. Which is sort of a less horrible way. No, wait, it's no, more horrible. horrible. <laughs> it's more horrible. horrible. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. go
1: with more horrible. Uh, one of the more notorious Japanese prisoner of war camps was in Singapore near the village of Changi.
0: I'm just going to pronounce it that way. I think that's right. That's what a way an English person would say it, for sure. Uh,
1: used to imprison Malayan civilians and allied soldiers. 40,000 men from the surrender of Singapore were marched to the northern tip of the island where they were imprisoned at a military base. The British civilian population of Singapore was imprisoned in Changi Jail itself.
0: Okay, so an actual prison.
1: Yeah. Uh, they organized work parties to repair damaged docks in Singapore and food and medicine became scarce. The Japanese made it clear they had not signed the Geneva Convention mm-hmm. and they had ran the camp as they saw fit.
0: So that was kind of the Japanese, nah, 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 nah. we didn't sign it. And
1: when a POW tried to escape, the situation got much worse. For the rest, of, yeah, okay, oh, they well. used them as an example.
0: Well, that's a pretty classic military maneuver. I mean, you, you get it in basic training, where if one person in your platoon screws up... Is that what happened when you were in the, in the army? Uh, there's a couple of cases where I caused everybody in my <laughs> unit to, to have to do push-ups. Was, Leeson here is going to finish his opera while the rest of you guys... No, no, it wasn't that. But it was, it was, hey, everybody, thank Leeson for these push-ups. Did you get a,
1: have a blanket party later that night? No, yeah. no, no, because I was
0: at the front with the master corporal and then we all did push-ups and then uh, I I actually uh, push up the master corporal so whoa it was kind of they just thought uh, so now you're
1: in charge by Klingon law yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, so this POW tried to escape and the Japanese demanded that everyone in the camp sign a document declaring that they would not attempt to escape this was refused as a result 20,000 POWs were herded into a barrack square and told that they would rem- remain there until the order was given to sign the document when this did not get the desired result a group of POWs was marched to the local beach and shot. Despite this, no one signed the document. Wow. Only when the men were threatened by an epidemic was the order given that the document should be signed. Threatened with a an epidemic? An epidemic. Not as like, sure what that epidemic was or how you threatened someone with it. That's but odd. But perhaps it was just a situation I'm, I'm that guessing one broke
2: out and they said, yeah. damn it, we're going to need some medical attention here and they're only going to give it to us if we sign.
0: See, here's what I, I don't get. Because you can sign a document that doesn't actually keep you from trying to escape well, I mean, you could lie. These were different
1: times, Kevin.
0: You could lie to your captors, like you yeah. could actually say, "Oh yeah, totally, dude, I'm totally going to stay in my." And mind, then the next no morning, everyone's you. gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they well, signed this document, <laughs> like... so we opened the
1: door.
2: But what would happen is that they would use it for propaganda, right? They would try to get the other the Americans to to find out that their captured prisoners had a, signed a document saying, "We promise we won't try to escape."
3: That's a pretty popular tactic in Korea and Vietnam, yeah. getting uh, uh, captured
0: servicemen to sign still. confessions, summary execution. As soon as they begin, I kind of like, uh, you know, kind of lose your resolve sometimes. Oh, they're seriously going to shoot me. Yeah, I'll sign that. <laughs> oh,
3: I need a pen. This one's no good. So probably
2: the most <laughs> famous prisoner at Changi is uh, novelist James Clavell, who wrote, oh. he wrote King Rat about his experiences in the prison. Can we also point out that he wrote King Rat kind of poorly? Did he? I, I did read, read that particular novel, and
3: I found it a little bit one-dimensional. Maybe Sorry. he was a
0: little bit hyper emotional about the experience. But kind of like you <laughs> know, did, couldn't have <laughs> couldn't, do that, couldn't ha- like, objective, couldn't yeah. get enough distance. To...
3: I have a lot more respect for this novel now that I know it was based on his experiences. Because when I read it, it seemed very uh, pulp-like. Yeah, you know, the characters were not very well rendered, well, and Jesus it was quite Clavo a short was novel. Kind of a pulpy writer. I mean, I'm sure he was twitching all the way through it. So yeah. I have more respect for it now. I guess the Japanese use the
1: POWs for forced labor. The formula was very simple. If you worked, you would get food. If you did not work, you would not get food. Men were made to work in the docks where they loaded munitions onto ships and to clear sewers damaged in the attack on Singapore. The men who were too ill to work relied on those who could work for their food. Malaria, dysentery, and dermatitis were common, as were beatings for not working hard enough. And then, in 1943, the 7,000 men left at the camp were moved to the jail in Changi Village. It was built to hold 1,000 people this jail
3: and how many people did the march
1: down seven thousand
0: built to house one put in seven okay yeah yep. right. so, so like you can imagine
3: weird. a u.s prison like that
1: yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so there were five or six men for a one-man cell with such overcrowding the risk of disease spreading was very real mm-hmm. very little arrived from the red cross and the men at changi had to rely on their own initiative to survive for example the army medics at Changi made tablets and convinced the Japanese guards that they were a cure for venereal disease Okay, and accordingly sold them to the guards. They could then buy proper medicine for their own men in an attempt to aid those who were sick. As the end of the Pacific War approached, rations to the POWs were reduced and the work requirement increased. POWs were made to dig tunnels and foxholes in the hills around Singapore so the Japanese would have places to hide and fight when the Allies finally reached Singapore. Pay for this work was increased to 30 cents a day. But one coconut cost? Three
0: thousand dollars. Close. Really? Thirty dollars. Oh, that wasn't very close. <laughs> so they paid thirty cents a day. Yeah, and so if you worked for a, for a month, coconut. you could buy a coconut. No, hundred days. Hundred days.
2: Three, three months. Right.
1: Delicious sweet coconut. <laughs> yeah, that you can't and, get into because the hammer and nail <laughs> cost forty dollars. <laughs> but
2: wait, these coconuts are lying
0: all over the ground. Listen, but, and the other thing too is like that digging trenches and foxhole thirty cent a day labor isn't exactly you know it's not desk work. It's not uh, pushing paper. It's not accounting. It's pushing dirt. Yeah. Yeah. When you're like frail and kind of you know malnourished and dehydrated and whatever, going up into the hills in Singapore and uh, which is probably muggy. I've never been to Singapore, but I'm guessing it's muggy.
3: You're not allowed to nap in this oppressive humidity and heat. You're, you're digging, <laughs> yeah. man. I'm really hot. I'll dig another foxhole, that'll make me feel better.
0: <laughs> the wind my shovel creates when I like you know, pull dirt, man, out of the me with hole. that dirt. Yeah, exactly. Being in prisoner of war, I mean, if you had to choose between being prisoner of war in the European theater and mm-hmm. the Pacific theater, uh, I don't think it was even a contest. Unless you were Jewish. Yeah, I might get bayoneted if I trip, yeah. but I'm not
3: going to actually get actively singled out for being Jewish. Right. But that's, at the same right.
2: time, you're going to have that drive being an American Jew. You're like, I got to go to Germany Yeah, and start killing problem. some exactly. Nazis. As
0: an American Jew, it's very inglorious bastards. You want to go and yeah. shoot Nazis, right? Yeah. It's got to make sure you don't get caught.
2: Yeah. Suicide Jews. Getting
0: back to Germany, uh, German Is that like a spin-off for Suicide Girls?
2: Yeah, the Suicide (laughs) Jews.
0: (laughs) A little different, It's like the Suicide Girls and J-Date actually combined to make one killer website. Ooh. (laughs) TM that shit. Holy (laughs) Christ. I was going to mention
3: American POWs in Germany. This is a really weird little aberration. Sure. When they were liberated... When Germany finally surrendered, or when the Germans would withdraw and cede that territory to the Americans, they found some p o w camps with a warehouse full of Red cross packages that it the just Germans hadn't been
0: disseminated
3: well, basically, what it was is the Germans were storing these Red Cross packages and distributing them to their rightful owners, but they were warehousing them for the prisoners, and the Germans would buy tobacco and chocolate and medical supplies from the prisoners, so that's like you sitting in seven eleven yeah. And the owner of 7 Eleven is selling you stuff while you s- watch his store. So you can imagine that's pretty weird because Germany at this time was in really bad shape. Like, yeah. you remember the breakfast menu from the POW camp? Hot water. Yeah, yeah. and they
0: were rationing. Yeah. Bullets so you can imagine the kind of
3: the war yeah, this, and stuff. the, the right? discipline and strange integrity that it would take to sit on a warehouse full of supplies and right. then buy the supplies off of the people you were guarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how often that happened. But it was a weird elaboration that I read about. Yeah, that's kind of kooky. It sounds really far-fetched, but I could see it. The whole idea of the Red Cross and the whole Geneva
1: Convention, the fact that in war you have rules, just kind of blows my mind. (laughs) And that the rules were followed even more so.
0: The saying is, all's fair in love and (laughs) war, right? Like, there's actually a saying that directly pertains to this subject— and yet it's not true. It's all's fair in love and war if you're not a signatory country.
1: Speaking of which, can we get a Geneva Convention for love? <laughs> I think you're yeah. onto something there, yeah, sir. I
3: think that would be a great
0: idea. <laughs> yeah.
3: Like roommate dating ex-girlfriend, we need like minimum time frames for that. We need those need to be sketched out very quickly. That whole idea of like, uh, what do they call it, humanizing an inhuman act? Right. Uh, the rules of warfare—it sort of permeates every part of warfare too. I mean, they in the First World War, the British decided that their rifle charge, the the bullet basically, the powder load that it carried was too powerful, and the the wounds that it was causing enemy soldiers w- were too devastating. Yeah. So that's when they started to steel jacket their their bullets so that it, you would get through and through wounds instead of oh, these okay. devastating. Said ones exploding bodies, yeah, exactly.
2: I heard the same thing about the British and uh, like a rifle-type grenade launcher. One of the guys in Predator had one, and I yeah. remembered hearing like trivia about that, which is, oh yeah, that was made in in Britain, and they were going to outfit their troops with them, but they decided not to because it gave them an unfair advantage over the enemy.
3: Yeah, it was the same with uh, the British outlook on machine guns uh, when they, going into World War One. The Germans said, well, this is a great tool, this is really effective. We're going to have one per platoon or two per mm-hmm. platoons. And the British was like. Uh, this is this is really just not very oh, sportsman. That's not so proper. <laughs> we're gonna put one in per division, maybe. You know, so at the outset of the war, they had one to five machine guns is what they were facing, right? So, right. Yeah. And There's, this is an army that was still sending bands into combat. Send the the standard bearers right. and the drummers and the pipers in first, <laughs> and then we'll follow them with infantry. Oh my God, they shot them all.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but imagine how awesome the POW would've, would've camp would have been if your band had been captured. At least you'd have some entertainment. Cat Kelly, looking
4: mighty pale, was standing by the sheriff's side, and when that sheriff said, I'm sending you to jail, Wildcat raised his head and cried, oh give me land, lots of land under starry skies above, don't fence me in, let me ride through the wide open country that I love. Don't fence me in Let me be by myself in the evening breeze Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees Send me off forever, but I ask you please Don't fence me in, just turn me loose Let me straddle my old saddle underneath the western skies On my cauce, let me wander over yonder Till I see the mountains rise I want to ride to the ridge where the west commences and gaze at the moon until I lose my senses I can't look at hobbles and I can't stand fences don't fence me in land under starry skies. Don't fence me in. Let me ride through the wide country that I love. Don't fence me in. Let me be by myself in the evening breeze. Listen to the murmur of the cottonwood trees. Send me off forever, but I ask you please, don't Fence me in just turn me loose let me straddle my old saddle underneath the western skies on my causo let me wander over yee <laughs>
0: I think we got to talk about Guantanamo Bay. That's kind of the uh, POW elephant in the room. Wait, isn't (laughs) that closed? (laughs) No. Oh, they said
3: they were going to close it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Obama said he was going to close it. It was going to be his first order of business. And then like 100 days later, after he got elected, he went... Yeah, but that... Uh, I heard it was full of it. terrorists, so we'll
2: order you to get the place ready that we're going to move them to. Yeah, yeah well, he talked briefly about actually
0: housing them in civilian prisons, and then that wow. was kibosh pretty effing quickly. And they were going to actually have
2: trials at one point. Justice? Still none That's of that. That's crazy talk.
1: So are these people in Guantanamo
3: actually prisoners of
1: war? It's this the war is, on
2: terrorism, Torrin. Jesus. Yeah.
3: I don't think we have those anymore. I, basically, the whole shtick with Guantanamo is it's not on American soil. Even though it's controlled by America, and it's considered that uh, naval base is considered to be American soil, and gray
0: area maybe. Those aren't POWs; they're enemy combatants. Yes, and that's that's how uh, the whole Bush administration justified waterboarding on a regular basis. It's a pretty huge loophole. They're
3: they're not regular army; these are guerrillas. They're terrorists. People who picked up weapons.
0: They're people of interest. If you're not allowed to torture actual soldiers. Why should you be allowed to torture or civilians? Or civilians? Yeah, you can't. You're not allowed to torture anybody, but you're allowed to torture enemy combatants or terrorists. So I, I, their
3: plan B was, well, let's define torture. We've decided now that waterboarding isn't torture. Nor yeah, yeah. Uh, sleep deprivation. Enhanced
0: or, interrogation technique. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, so, enhanced. In spite of the fact that historically, the American military actually tried and executed Japanese officers for waterboarding Americans yeah. during World War II. Yeah. General Tojo was actually hung at
3: the end of the war for crimes against uh, American servicemen.
0: Good enough for hanging others... <laughs> Not good enough to be considered (laughs) a crime when we do it. Do as we say, not as we do.
2: And also, everybody who's been waterboarded has agreed that it's torture. Christopher Hitchens, I believe, I don't, I can't remember if at first he said it wasn't torture, but at first he was like, "Well, you know, who cares? It's not that bad." And somebody said, "We'll, we'll waterboard you," and he said, "Okay, fine." And he came off being waterboarded after only a few seconds and said, "If that's not torture, nothing is."
3: I think what gets under people's skin is in America, if you're a criminal, you're accorded certain rights. Now it's pretty rough in their prison system, obviously, but in Guantanamo, you're I have not seen even... Shawshank Redemption. <laughs> yeah. I've seen bad boys. (laughs) Yeah. But I think the idea that it could be that these prisoners have no rights whatsoever is what is getting...
0: People it, so it, upset. I mean, it makes me mental. I mean, The SPCA
3: has more. I yeah, know, you, you'd, a, you'd give more rights to yeah. a stray dog yeah, yeah, than exactly. you
0: would. I, like, I don't know what the solution is. I mean, it's such a quagmire now. Like, they've kind of dug themselves in a hole. The unintended consequence of this is this is basically a
3: terrorist training camp. If you weren't one before, if you were just a truck driver that got caught in a security sweep, if you've been interned at Guantanamo Bay, you're probably a terrorist by now. Yeah,
0: Stephen Colbert a few years ago did a—he uh, has this little routine he does called Formidable Opponent where he actually faces off against himself. Mm-hmm. He, do they do a trick photography? They do a trick photography, okay. and he always wears one of them wears a blue tie, and one of them wears a red tie. Oh, how that's how you know the difference. I know it's how? brilliant. Probably my favorite formidable opponent of all time was actually on this very subject. Some of the custodians of Guantanamo kind of figured out a few years ago that a handful of the people who are housed there and have been housed there for years aren't actually guilty of what they were accused of. But now they can't let them go because they've been radicalized by having been locked up without Mm -hmm. trial Mm -hmm. for years and years.
1: They weren't enemies of the state before. They are now. They are
0: now. And so now now they're terrorists because they've made them into terrorists. And so now they should keep them at Guantanamo. It's
1: a
3: good gig if you can get it.
0: Uh, It's it's that circular logic. You know, a lot of made
3: their country great. Yeah. So they're saying if they
0: sent you to medical school. Uh Sooner or later,
3: you'd be a doctor, whether or not you participated, right? I didn't go to any of the classes. You're a doctor. You've been here for nine years.
2: Sorry, you're a doctor. Well, you audited them by just sitting through them all. (laughs) That's right. You could at least be a medic in the field. No, even better.
0: Even better. They send you to medical school, and the whole time you're like, I don't want to be here. I don't want to do this. I don't belong here. And then at nine years, they make you become a doctor. That's right. Sorry, you're a surgeon now.
2: Yeah, brain surgery. Go. No! Yeah, I really doubt any of the guys who are innocent in there were like just putting their fingers in their ears and going, la, 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 not listening yeah, to the other it terrorists. They'll figure out sooner or later. Yeah. They'll
0: figure out sooner or later and let me go. No, of course not. Yeah, just- I think if you get abused by guards on one hand, it's this no end in sight and no recourse and no sentence. It's positively medieval. Like, it oh, drives yeah. me mental that no one has tried to stop this.
1: Well, who's going to stop it? You? <sighs> Captain Liberty? (laughs) Somebody, for God's sakes. Apparently
2: not Obama, because uh, on January 7th, he signed the 2011 Defense Authorization Bill, which contains provisions preventing the transfer of Guantanamo prisoners to the mainland or to other foreign countries.
3: They are going to close? No, wait. It sounds like they're really not going to close.
2: Well, now they've basically made it so they can't close it, because they've blocked any way of getting those prisoners out of there.
3: Well, they did transfer that one prisoner they took, but they transferred him to the bottom of the ocean.
2: If that's your position, if you're going to keep them
0: indefinitely, Definitely. If you have no intention of releasing them for any reason, under any conditions, then just execute them. And that then, would be wrong. Oh, yeah. uh uh-huh, And Heaven. keeping them imprisoned indefinitely for the rest of their natural lives. That's so much better. You just crossed the line. I mean, here's the thing. In America, you, they have a death penalty. Execution is on the books. If somebody committed high treason... You know, they could execute them in a federal court. You know, there's a reason that they due process when it comes to legal things. It's because people shouldn't sit in jail for years and years and years unless they're guilty.
1: When the safety of their country is at stake and the war on terror, there are no rules,
0: Kevin. It's not like I have
3: a solution but I, I know what ain't right. If they didn't have to close that prison after all the photographs came out of the prisoners being actively abused, yeah. then I don't think it'll ever be closed. No, of course not. You yeah. know? Obviously, this system isn't working. Check out the pictures.
0: I mean, I guess that's the point. So so maybe maybe o- we should
3: do something about it? They yeah. let
0: OJ go, so, uh, you know, I mean, yeah. uh, Sheikh uh, Malid Kalal or whatever the hell his name is, the guy with the super hairy back K- that we show <laughs> if, if OJ got off, that guy's got a shot.
2: It's hard to find the numbers, but uh, in November... 2005, there were 505 detainees at Guantanamo. This worry about sending back the innocent to be trained terrorists and hate America, like say it's even a third of that. So it's like 150 guys or so. 150 guys who hate America. Is that really worth keeping this despicable prison open? Oh, well, especially I,
3: in the context of I'm pretty sure most of the Arab countries in the world, including Saudi Arabia, have uh, a real hatred on for the United States.
2: This is not, it's a drop in the bucket. Let them go. Be good people. Take your lumps. Yeah. When you do bad or, things, you get punished a little bit for it. And if 150 more people in the world hate you, but maybe 1,000 people in the world will be, oh, finally they let the innocent ones go. And that math works out better in your, in your favor. I think that that's the more correct thing to do. Yeah. But then if they turned around and just summarily executed
0: everybody that was there, because you're like, listen, we're never letting them go. How many terrorists is that going to create? Exactly. Exactly. you got the same problem, but at least there's a resolution, right?
2: <laughs> well, a resolution at the camp. Yeah. So you get to close the camp, but then you have probably riots in Middle Eastern countries. I say
1: you take them all, put them on Easter Island, rename it Terrorsvania. <laughs>
2: Now, not to say that Americans are the only ones who do this. Uh, we've got some pretty shameful behavior on we, the We here in Canada? Uh, we up here in Canada have some pretty shameful... Us people who are all born in the same nation? In Somalia, the Canadian Airborne Regiment came under fire. The end result was they the entire regiment got disbanded. When was this? Uh, 1993. They'd taken some prisoners after they'd been captured, like not in their in the process of their capture, but after they'd right.
3: been
0: tied up and all this, that stuff, they were like, beaten within an inch of their lives kind of thing.
3: Did it come uh, out that they were uh, torching them for information or was it also they were torturing them just to torture them?
2: Yeah, what it seemed to be was there had been some thieves, like kids breaking into the camps to steal stuff so that the so the troops decided to lay in ambush to try and catch them. And so I'm guessing they thought that this kid was one of the kids stealing from them and they were just getting revenge.
3: For a few missing cases of Tang? Yeah. Oh wait,
0: no, it was dying. A uh, missing well. fuel pump actually oh really yeah and i mean this is also one of those situations where a bunch of photos ended up making the rounds in the press and all the rest of that stuff much like abu Ghraib in iraq which of course you know when you have an actual image of a soldier posing triumphantly over the broken and beaten body of a prisoner pr disaster (laughs) yeah we cannot spin this that is a charitable way of putting it what should we talk about first in
1: the
3: pop culture department. There is the Great Escape, uh, mm-hmm.
0: famous yeah. for the motorcycle jump,
3: which yeah. does not hold up. Oh, when you yeah. see it no. now, it's yeah. not actually that big a deal. I watched You're it late.
2: last night, actually. Yeah, he doesn't
3: even land it.
1: Come yeah. on. Well, interesting thing about that is Steve McQueen accepted the role of Hilts on the condition that he got to show off his motorcycle skills. Ugh. Oh. The motorcycle scenes were not based on real life he also held up production because he demanded that the script be rewritten to give his character more to do oh boy uh, yeah oh, good old and Steve you can McQueen. see it. when I was watching it I was
2: like wow they really did decide we're gonna make this guy a big superstar and yeah. make his character totally cool and he's the one American who did all the important stuff
0: well I mean Steve McQueen was pretty cool <laughs>
2: I don't know, you know what? We've been watching a few Steve McQueen movies. I never really watched many old movies, and we watched The Blob and we watched I watched him in this. Oh, yeah, and like I his riff, voice riff. is absolutely not masculine. Like he's got this <laughs> kind of high voice and he's, "Ah, you know what's going on?" Like, "They call me lot. Yeah,
0: look at me. I'm really cool." In The Getaway, he's pretty effing cool. He's pretty effing cool in Bullet. All the car chase movies. I think, he's, cool. I think
2: he's cool kind of in the same way, and I forgive me for everybody who thinks this is a terrible thing, I think he's cool in the same way as Keanu Reeves, which is that he looks cool, and he can move cool and appear cool, and then he opens his mouth, and he's not <laughs> right. cool anymore. I <laughs> get you,
3: watchable with charisma, but yeah. there's a few pretty serious failings there. Whereas, yeah, yeah, I totally agree. Keanu I mean, opens
2: his mouth I and goes, I totally agree. Oh my God, I'm so cool. And you're like, <laughs> oh, that guy was a good actor until that point. No Paul Newman, granted, mm. But yeah. he's
1: still pretty effing cool. You love him. So do you think any of our listeners have not watched The Great Escape? I have think Quite a few people yeah. have oh, Really? Not seen
0: yeah, because it. yeah, it's, it's pretty old. I mean, it's
1: from the early 60s. So it's got a, a, an ensemble cast. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Charles Bronson.
3: Oh, James Garner. Yeah, okay. James Richard Garner. Attenborough,
1: David Attenborough's older brother. James right. Coburn. Right. Uh, Charles Bronson uh, brought his own expertise and experiences to the set. He had been a coal miner before turning to acting. And it shows. Mm-hmm. And as a result of his work in the coal mines, Bronson suffered from claustrophobia just as his character had. <laughs> Wait, oh. you were not really a
2: coal miner? <laughs> uh, and James Garner was actually a soldier in the Korean War, and he'd been uh, wounded twice. And he, oh. was a, and he was a scrounger during the Korean War, which meant he was a guy who could go out and find things that you needed. And his character in The Great Escape was the scrounger. Oh. So, really, they weren't actually going
0: out and getting people who could act like things. They went out and got people who actually did these things.
1: Several cast members were actual POWs during World War II. Donald Pleasence was held in a German camp, Hans Mesmer in a Russian camp, and Til Kuey and – I don't know how to pronounce
0: that – and Hans Reiser were prisoners of the Americans. So, this is either a case of brilliant casting or, (laughs) or like, the – laziest casting of all time <laughs> this is either like there's you know, a
3: massive talent pool of world war ii vets back then too and yeah, korean vets
0: right? Yeah, you, you know you get a bunch of guys in the room like okay we're casting a guy who's a claustrophobic well i'm actually claustrophobic you're hired that's right <laughs> we only you only want to see people you from to- your
1: agency who have claustrophobia <laughs> yeah. on their on their resume
0: how about uh, one of my personal favorite pow movies of all time empire of the sun it's a, a great christian bale movie where he's not doing that voice
3: yeah, you know what? <laughs> give me my airplane
0: back. Christian Bale is, in the movie, he's like 10 or 11 years old or something like that. Child actor, all the rest of that stuff. And now that he's gone on to have a very respectable career, it's fun to go back and watch him. And he's so recognizable, right? You know, that he's, cause he's such a big star. You can give Little Women a miss, though. Empire of the Sun, uh, based on the book by J.G. Ballard, I believe, who it's his uh, autobiography based on uh, his actual experience as a uh, young British boy in a prison
2: camp. I think
3: that one holds up. It's worth a watch, whereas maybe The Great Escape doesn't quite hold up
2: I really enjoyed the Great Escape but only I think because I knew that it was based on a true story right um, so that's what made it work for me I was like because I didn't know about any of this stuff I didn't I didn't understand uh, most of the prisoners in the Great Escape were uh, Air Force officers so they were treated very well and the Stalag they were in was run by the Luftwaffe mm. so there's this great respect between guys airmen. running the, the airmen running the prison camp and the men in it and just this blunt honesty between them you know your men are gonna have to knock try to escape well you know that that's our job to try to escape well very well i understand In empire of the sun
0: in almost a direct dichotomy from the great escape most of the prisoners that you really meet and get to know are actual civilian mm-hmm. you know you've got this 10 year old boy who's in this prison camp like behind barbed wire and all the rest of this stuff does
3: right? their social system breakdown when in that movie i can't remember it too well because well, i know in the, in the military camps they try and rely on that rank
0: system to sort of hold everything together there was kind of a hierarchy anyway i mean malkovich plays the guy who sort of like pulls all the strings and he can get stuff into the camp and out of the camp and he has like a system of runners and kids that sort of like serve his purposes and pass notes hey kid you want a hershey bar yeah exactly Get me one too so malkovich plays that but it's not it's not like you know sort of post-apocalyptic kind of mad max you know everybody's out for themselves kind of thing like there still is a Modicum of a society there and stuff like that.
3: Does anybody remember the movie? Sylvester Stallone played a goalkeeper, part of a soccer team that was going to play an exhibition match against the German military soccer team. Oh, and they um, ended up—they were all ready to escape, but then he, Sylvester Stallone, talked everybody into staying because the French resistance, oh, victory. victory, yeah, the French resistance had tunneled into their change room, and at the midpoint of the game, when they were getting their asses handed <laughs> to them by the Germans, the French resistance was like, "Okay, we're ready. We're gonna, we're gonna run away." Let's go. Escape's already. Tunnel's ready. And they said, no, we're going to go back and win this game. Ah! And then we're going to escape. Ah, nice. <laughs> Which just nice. never happened. I'd never uh, heard of this movie. Pele uh, was in this as well. Uh-huh. Uh, he did his famous bicycle kick. Oh,
0: yeah, of course. I Man. think they just
3: trucked him in for that. And, uh,
2: yeah. yeah. And Michael
0: Actually, Kane. it's
3: pretty unrealistic that Pele would have been allowed to join a prisoner of war soccer team. Because usually uh, black servicemen, if they were found, were uh, killed immediately oh, by really? the Germans. Yeah, because they were Seen as racially inferior. Right. There's lots of pictures of German soldiers posing with captured black soldiers who weren't always American, posing with them like trophies, and then usually they would just shoot them afterwards. So it was pretty, uh, pretty unlikely that Pele would have seen any soccer field unless he was put under
1: underneath it. the yeah. soccer yeah. field. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Ew. Pele. Beer hunter, I deer mean, hunter.
2: I thought you said beer hunter.
0: Yeah, deer hunter has got some pretty intense POW scenes. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just
1: remember the three-hour-long wedding scene.
0: <laughs> it wasn't three hours. The entire yeah, I movie is three hours long. When I was when I was a kid, the reason I didn't get
3: forward in the movie yeah. was that wedding scene. Yeah. Because you know I was eight years older, six years older, squirming What's around. What's with all this setup? Yeah. When are they <laughs> wow. going to start with the machine gunning? You guys are savages.
0: Oh yeah, Other savages.
3: You're talking. You're looking at a guy who, when I saw Gandhi for the first time when I was a kid, complained. Throughout the whole movie, like this, did not get it at all. I'm yeah. pretty
0: sure I watched Deer Hunter
3: in like four different sittings. They seem to spend a long time establishing character and background, and then the once it, they hit the Vietnam stuff, it. Tends to really start rolling. It gets mm-hmm. going very fast.
0: Sure. De Niro and Christopher Walken and John Savage are all in a uh, very, very small Vietnamese prison camp. Like they probably only have like a half a dozen prisoners that they keep submerged in cages in a river. And, small uh,
3: prisoner of war camps were pretty much the standard in in Vietnam. One or two guards and maximum
0: six prisoners, forcing them to uh, play Russian roulette against one another, and yep. that the all the prison guards actually bet on who is going to. Shoot themselves first. Terrible way to earn your keep as it, an enlisted man. It is a uh, it is definitely a mental torture as well as, you know, physical finality in the sure. torture department. And, I, mean, I
3: think if you ever want to see actors completely disappearing into the moment, the Russian roulette scenes yeah. I think are outstanding as far as you can really feel the stress coming off these guys and the terror in just in waves. I was Well, and and De
0: Niro like shows his, because De Niro got into the special forces and the other guys were just regular army. Stays wonderfully defiant all the way through the entire process, right? Mm -hmm. And of course, he's the architect of their eventual
3: escape. But he doesn't really bring across that ridiculous macho vibe like a Schwarzenegger. Yeah. You know he's very. No, it's not a character. You can tell he's terrified as well. That's yeah, right. exactly. It's not a character. So that I, those scenes are just to this day. Yeah. I mean, one of the one of the high points of. I mean, Deer
0: Hunter is peaks and valleys, right? Like mm-hmm. the highs are so intense, and the lulls lull you into such a sense of complacency. Like by the end, of, you get to the end of that movie, and not just because it's almost three hours long, but you're effing exhausted. Yeah. Like it's like running a marathon watching that movie, and the final scene in that movie where they sing. America the Beautiful in the bar right after they came from their buddy's funeral. I'm getting goosebumps now. Just look, I'm getting goosebumps now. Just thinking about that scene.
1: It's
3: it's not because I'm blowing in the back of your neck. <laughs> yeah. Every time I see a pickled egg in a bar, I weep. I'm, I'm totally with you on that.
0: But it's you know it, it's so surreal and so satirical and yet powerful. And it's one of those wonderful moments in film and cinema. Where you can take it straight up. You can like, oh, they're singing the America of the Beautiful because they are patriotic and they're reaffirming their belief in the their society and all the rest of that stuff. Or you can peel it back and you can see that undercurrent that is it's being delivered completely ironically. That, that it's in fact the statement on the crumbling state of the American empire. Right? you think
3: it's also that, that all these people are, are essentially powerless working class people and that sort of all they can do is sort of stick to that ridiculous ideal that sort of sucked them into Vietnam in the first place. Oh,
0: I think I think the characters while they're singing that song are singing it unironically. Yeah. But the filmmaker is making them do it yeah. ironically. Yeah.
3: Did anyone else have trouble with uh, Christopher Walken in this movie at the very beginning? I found it very difficult Difficult to get into his character because all the Christopher Walken movies I'd seen up to that point, he was just sort of creepy and low key. Yeah, yeah. But He's supposed to be playing like a boisterous macho young man, like you'd find in any locker room after <laughs> yeah. a game, right? Yeah, yeah. Just...
2: Which makes it creepier. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He always looks like he, his smile looks like it. He might be bearing those teeth in order to sink them into your neck <laughs> and like <Yeah>. take <laughs> just... <laughs> a
3: chunk out of your aorta. Like he has a prisoner that he's eating one limb at a time yeah. at home, but totally, he's just a regular guy. <laughs> yeah. Bridge on the River Kwai, great theme. Whistling, whistling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: Uh, Based on the 1942 Burma Death Railway. Anything that has
0: death in the title, it's never a good thing.
1: 258-mile railway between Bangkok, Thailand, and Burma, built by the Empire of Japan during World War II to support its forces in the Burma campaign. About 180,000 Asian laborers and 60,000 allied POWs worked on the railway.
0: For those who don't know, the prisoners are being forced to build a bridge. Across the River
2: Kwai. Whoa, whoa slow down. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the movie is basically
2: got, based on... Based on the bridge over the River Kwai by no, French writer But But how they, how they
3: feel about building it, because they know that that bridge is, a, is a representational of their slave labor. Right. Yeah, their complicity. Directly helping the Japanese yeah, war. Yeah, their effort.
0: complicity in the Japanese yeah. war effort, for sure.
3: And a railway bridge back then is basically turbo boosting a war effort, because yeah. if you can get material... From A to B You're did probably like, going to win did It stars Obi-Wan Kenobi As yeah. uh, the Guinness. Colonel Did he take merchandise rights On this one too? Yes. Yeah, so you your, I know he did that in Star Wars <laughs> and he made a pile off action figures.
1: Maybe yeah. he didn't see the action figure thing coming out I don't know what his, his yeah. colonel's name was. in the. Uh, so you could just uh, kit out your Obi-Wan Kenobi figure to make it look <laughs> like a...
3: Give him a like Sam a Brown and some <laughs> purse, <jodhpurs.
1: laughs> A pith helmet. He spent a lot of time in the little uh, tiny box in the
0: heat. Tiger cage, they called him in Vietnam. Yeah, you know, The hot box. The hole. Yeah. The unpleasantness box. I don't think it, it holds up nearly as well as some of the other movies i i think it- no, i tend to disagree oh really i have seen that- it i've seen it twice it won the oscar for dysentery <laughs> <laughs> best, <laughs> best
1: portrayal of dysentery and <laughs> on, yeah.
3: on screen yeah
1: many who claim that the movie is unrealistic because it does not show that what the conditions and treatment of prisoners was actually like
3: they probably couldn't back then so, yeah. yeah yeah i mean apart it- from alice in a hole yeah we're yeah. talking
2: about 1957 so. yeah
3: so they didn't show people being bayoneted when they fell in the road from exhaustion right which is a pretty normal thing or the japanese for amusement would drive over exhausted prisoners with their trucks
2: so considering it's nice. been 10 years since Spider-Man and they're re- rebooting that one, maybe it's been, it's been 54 years since Bridge on the River Quiet. It's time for a new one that's a bit more realistic.
0: That would be great.
2: Who, who are we going to cast in that?
0: I mean, you got to consider Ewan McGregor to play the Alec Guinness role. <laughs> <laughs>
2: nice. Poor Ewan
0: McGregor.
3: Oh, that would be a brilliant casting or a ridiculous casting. <laughs> does is that unintended Obi-Wan irony? One I don't know.
0: Yeah. Accent during the whole thing. Nice. Stalag 17. Of course, Stalag 17 is the movie that inspired the TV series Hogan's Heroes. Yeah. I'm looking at the movie poster right now, and it seems very Hogan Heroes esque. When you hear that Stalag 17 is the movie that they based Hogan, Heroes on, you think to yourself, oh, great, I'll watch that movie and I'll have a good laugh. It is not, <laughs> it is not a comedy. It is not a funny movie. In fact, there are some pointedly uncomedic moments in Starlight like 17. Like, it's a legit POW story. And there are some pretty terrible things that happen in it. So it's It's an unrealistic comparison, maybe? They had a communication device in their coffee maker, which is Mm -hmm. right in in Hogan's Heroes, right? Yeah. I'd be interested to be the fly in the wall in that studio meeting when (laughs) you're standing around going, okay, we want to turn Starlight 17 into a TV series. And somebody puts their hands up and goes,
2: let's make it a sitcom!
3: That's a great idea. I think we're (laughs) going to keep the coffee can radio, but we need a wisecracking Frenchman. (laughs) (laughs) Can 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 he be really short? Yes, he can. Can
2: we make the Germans comedically incompetent... That would so, be you want funny Nazis? Let me write that down. Yeah. Yeah,
1: funny, funny Nazis, Nazis. Nazi. Cool and and Hogan's Heroes was made when? Was
2: 1965 through 1971. Right. Okay. So, basically, 10 seasons. years, or sorry, 20, 20 years, years, years after the end two, of World ended. War II. Right. Too soon?
1: That would be like us now making a sitcom about what war 20 years ago?
0: Uh, first uh, Gulf first, war, maybe? First, first Gulf War.
1: Hilarious. <laughs>
0: Some of the people in Hogan's Heroes were probably the right age to have actually served in World right. War II. I mean, you take Richard Dawson, who's been an old man since he was born, right? As <laughs> you know. seen in Family Feud. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got oh, all yeah, these guys right. who are right in the right age to actually have served in World War II, and yet they're doing what comedy What a strange about it.
3: Uh, mental environment to uh, have served in the war, probably seen terrible things yeah. in World War II.
0: I can't even imagine. And then
3: filming a sitcom. Well, it's not like when I was in the RAF, but, you know, maybe that. Well, again, as somebody
0: who works in the film and television industry, I just cannot imagine the pitch session. And it's not not even dramatic dramatic on that.
3: Yeah, it's it's not even dramatic in the way that M.A.S.H. was. M.A.S.H. is a comedy show, but it was based on drama. Yeah,
1: the, it was the drama. duality of war right. and yeah, yeah. it, it was, was the people being funny to relieve the tension exactly. in the situation. Right. With black humor. Yeah.
2: If you yeah. don't laugh, you'll cry.
0: That yeah. was exactly. kind of it. In and MASH. there was yeah. none of that in yeah. Hogan's Heroes. Like Hogan's Heroes is a straight up laugh track set up and punchline sitcom. My favorite thing I think about Hogan's Heroes is
3: pretty typical for war movies of the time. Everyone is so clean. Yeah, They're in a combat zone. They've been POWs for years, but they've always got a sharp crease on their khakis and yeah. Yeah. hair gel in and the cap's on a rakish angle. Oh, yeah, rakish. Got to be rakish. I'm pretty sure that the
1: CBS was sued oh, really? by the makers of Stalag uh, 17. Oh, so it wasn't and authorized. Sued?
0: It wasn't no, an
3: no. authorized oh. adaptation? I'm They were
0: sued by anyone who was in World War II. <laughs> they should have been. <laughs> this is BS. In 1965, <laughs> no less. Like, it's, yeah. it's totally it's, in that it whole It would be funny if, if,
3: if, like the CSI franchise, they had come up with different P.O.W. shows for different theaters. You know what I mean, like Hogan's <laughs> Heroes baton. <laughs> well,
1: we mentioned Rescue Dawn a bit. I thought it was okay. I thought it was passable. Uh,
0: set in Vietnam, or when yeah, was it Vietnam? Set. He oh, was okay. a pilot, got shot down, and he ended up. It was of actually these, in Laos during the Vietnam campaign. It's interesting because it's very depoliticized. No, you it's have, all about the experience in yeah, the stockade. Itself, you have, right? I
1: mean, what like six P.O.W.s and probably at least six guards and the main character played by Christian Bale he says I didn't want to be in the war I just wanted to fly yeah so I joined the army (laughs) yeah. <laughs> Who would think that Wait, joining no. the army would have a possibility of being in a war? Yeah. Yeah. Pan so Am kinda... would take me, so I decided to strafe villagers. <laughs> uh, and weird casting for Stephen Zahn, but he did a great job.
0: Yeah, I thought all the performances were okay. Yeah. They were yeah. strong. You know, I mean, uh, you weren't taken out of the
1: experience. But to give some backstory, this is from Lonely Planet. Laos is the most bombed country of the world. Wow. wow. Missiles, mines, mortar shells, and cluster bombs litter the landscape. Reminders of the various wars are everywhere, including the local architecture, Uh, We saw shells and missile casings decorating stilt houses, shacks, guest houses, and even the local internet cafe. From 64 to 73, the United States flew 580,000 bombing runs. That's 260 million bombs over Laos. One every nine minutes for 10 years. More than (laughs) 2 million tons of ordnance was unloaded on the countryside, uh, double the amount dropped on Nazi Germany in World War II. And despite the fact that America had signed treaties stating that it would recognize Laos as neutral and stay out of the country, of course the argument Whoa.
0: is is that the uh, the Viet Cong were that's they were transporting supplies and whatnot through Laos. And, yeah, yeah. So it was it was all in service of cutting off supply lines and, and troop movements and stuff.
1: So that explains some of the attacks. But shockingly, much of the bombing of Laos was pure laziness. American bombers that were called off attacks on northern Vietnam used to dump their loads on Laos so they didn't have to go through special procedures required <laughs> when they landed fully loaded. Nobody <laughs> <laughs> wants to land loaded. <laughs> Yeah, they yeah. had
0: to do an extra bit of paperwork if they actually landed with bombs still on board. So they're just like, ah, fuck it. So it's interesting that these people
1: in Laos are kind of portrayed as the evil, cruel POW do You think there might be guards. some kind of bias or spin <laughs> on the part of the American
3: filmmakers? <laughs> just wanted to mention that. You always need a bad
1: guy. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Well, we can't end this episode of POWs without me talking about Star Trek. Okay, can't? Particularly okay. The, I'm drawing a blank we there.
2: We could.
0: I'm pretty sure we could.
1: Particularly the Next Generation episode, oh, okay. Chain of Command Part 2. There are four lights! In the episode's second part, which dealt with Picard's torture at the hands of Cardassians was the second episode in the series history to earn Wait, a parental advisory disclaimer.
0: At the hands of the Kardashians? Yeah,
1: keeping up with the Kardashians.
0: Kim and Khloe, they're, uh, you know what they did? How that they is torture. Them? They made him watch their show. That's how they tortured him.
1: Actually, uh, Patrick Stewart prepared for the scenes of torture by reviewing tapes provided by Amnesty International. Hmm. He agreed to perform the first torture scene naked, but only as long as it was on a closed set. Only as wow. long as they... Everyone was looking. And then all their clothes are off. I can (laughs) see everything. everything.
2: (laughs) For anybody who doesn't get that, go watch Ricky Gervais' Extras. Uh Great series. And uh,
1: David Warner uh, as the evil Cardassian guy who uh, you may remember from the Master Control program in Tron and the evil genius in Time Bandits.
2: Yeah, definitely one of my favorite Next Generation episodes. It's just so well done.
3: For me, it's hard to pick a favorite episode of <laughs> generation. Wasn't yeah, the that? one where Tasha Yar died from that so mud good. monster? No, I like the one where Tasha Yar was getting it on with Data. Because he was fully functional. More fully of that, functional. please. Hmm. And then she's all disappointed. She's like, what do you think about when we kiss? Robot stuff. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Lose my senses.
4: I can't look at hobbles and I can't stand fences.
2: Don't fetch me in.